Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Invention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. Oh, yeah. Hello, I am Joe Lomar, and welcome to Hold the Line, the podcast for force free gun dog training. Hold the Line is committed to helping you train your dog to an advanced level using motivational methods and without the use of fear or pain. Thank you for tuning in and please make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Hold the Line. So this week on the podcast, I've got a really fabulous interview with Elsa Blomster and Lena Gunnison. They are the authors of the brilliant book Retrieving for All Occasions and they are gun dog trainers based in Sweden. They offer classes and training, including online training, which I think sounds like a fabulous resource for any of you who are stuck in isolated or remote locations or who don't have access to force-free gun dog training classes near you. You might just want to check them out. Their website is retrievingforallocasions.com. So here we go, introducing Elsa and Lena. Hello, Elsa and Lena. Welcome to the podcast. Um, first of all, I wonder if you can just introduce yourselves, um, maybe say a bit about um, your dogs and any particular areas you're interested in. I think one of you has retrievers and one of you has spaniels. That's about all I know, I think. So, yeah, introduce yourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that, that's it. <laughs> one, one got spaniels, one got retrievers. Uh, I'm Elsa. I'm the one with the retrievers. At the moment, I've got one uh, Goldie. She's 11 years old. And uh, one uh, Labrador, and he's uh, three and a half years old soon. Uh, at the moment, I'm mostly doing gun dog work with him. But previously, I've been doing obedience, rally obedience, tracking, and, and things like that as well. But uh, since there's too few hours uh, each day, I had to focus on something. And then I realized that I thought the gun dog work was the most interesting part. So that, that's what I'm focused on now. Right. Yeah. And is that, is that Keen? Is that the name of yeah, your young Yeah, that's Keen. Yep, the yeah, I've seen one. videos of him. Yeah, <laughs> I liked him very much. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. <laughs> and your older dog is called? Diesel. Diesel, right. Yeah, so yeah, she's she's 11. Just turned 11 yesterday. Right. Right. And, and Lena? Yeah, well, I'm the Spaniel girl then. Uh, I have three Cocker Spaniels, one show Cocker and two... Uh, they're a breed for hunting for gun dog training so um, I do I mostly do gun dog training nowadays as Elsa uh, described uh, so I, I hunt a lot with my my seven-year-old Tasla which is um, a great gun dog and uh, she was also a great obedience dog we have been competing in the highest class in ob- obedience but I uh, since three years, I haven't been training obedience, though, as Elsa said, there are not enough not, not enough uh, uh, time. Uh, and then right. I have a three-year-old called Kuling, uh, which means almost storm in Swedish. <laughs> uh, and he's like uh, almost storm, and he's three, but he's very, very immature. So I would say he's about one and a half, maybe. <laughs> right. Um and then I have my show cocker, he's 10, and uh, it was with him everything started, actually, uh, when it came, when it, uh, came to uh, gun dog training, because he was very interested in, in retrieving, and then I got interested in it. And suddenly I, I um, realized that there were other kind of dogs that could maybe hunt a little bit better than he can. So then I started to buy uh, um, those cockers too 
So I have three now. Uh, the fourth is coming this summer, I hope. Oh. They just keep and multiplying. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, Gandalf training mostly, but I also do detection training. So I am trying to educate one of, or all three of them actually, to bed, bed bugs uh, search. Oh. Yeah. So, um, okay. yeah, that's me and my dogs. Right. Um, and with the bed bug training, is that something you're going to you're going to try and do in a in a professional way? Is that something yes, that you're doing? Absolutely. Out of interest, right. Yes. Right. Mm. Wow. Mm. Um, and so you two have worked together for quite a long time. I get the sense. Yes. Is that, is that yes. right? Yes. I think. How long have you years. known each other? Ten. Yeah. Eleven. Ten I I attended my first course for for Liana with Diesel when she was just one. Yeah. She wasn't one years old yet so yes, she was no, just turning no. one so i attended a recall course and that was the first mm. time we met uh, and then i went, did a yeah. trainer course for for liana as well and then moved on to the instructor course and then we started giving classes together yeah, so yeah i think that when, was in when I met elsa, yeah and when i met elsa i thought hmm i have to keep her <laughs> <laughs> so because she was fun and, and clever and uh, we had the same uh, basic idea of dog training and and I needed someone to cooperate with uh, when it comes to, to my training school that I had at that time, uh, in part-time. Uh, but uh, And I thought Elsa would be perfect. And after that, Elsa, I think we have been working for one year or some, two years maybe. And then, then you said, I need, I need to, to write something. About and it need to do a compendium. Do you say that? Compendium? Yeah, uh, some course material. Yeah, or... yeah. Uh, for 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 um, my retriever retrieving classes because she held retrieving classes. I didn't uh, at that that time. Right. Uh, and she said, "I think we have to write the book." And I said, "Of course." <laughs> and then we wrote the retrieving <laughs> for all occasions. <laughs> Yeah, that was going to be another of my questions: was how, yeah. how the book came about. So yeah. It's quite ambitious to 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 write a book. Yes, and we yeah. well, it, just as Lena said, it started out as just some course material for my course participants. Um, but then I realized that well, we needed some more information because there's it's really difficult to find information on positive gun dog training. And mm. in Swedish, there were no books at all available, and our book is still the only one uh, on positive gun dog training in Swedish. Uh, so uh, we started to talk about it, and then after a while, I, I came to the conclusion that okay, I have to, I have to write it myself because there's no other book. And then I talked to Lena because uh, she's uh, actually a journalist uh, to start with, uh, so she's really good at writing. Uh, so together we worked a lot with the text and made it better and better. Uh, I learned a lot from Lena about writing, so it's been very, very useful <laughs> as well. And now, now we can't say who wrote the the other text, the, the different uh, captures in uh, captures in the book. Uh, right. From the beginning, I was like writing a lot of the theory, and mm. and Elsa, who was more experienced when it comes to gambling training, uh, wrote about all the exercises and so on. And but then. Then we just mixed, so we can't say anymore, anymore who wrote uh, yes. a, a specific piece or so. No, we found I found our common Blended. voice in, in the book. Yeah, mm. we did, really. Mm. Right. Mm. And you still have this common voice. You do a lot of things together, like this podcast you wanted to do together, and you train together, and you're very much a, a team. Yes, yes, uh, we really are. And after we, we did our book and we published it, um, we or actually we, we went to... Uh, several different publishing companies and they offered us so little um, in return for our book and we had done everything. We had done uh, proofreading, we had taken all the pictures, we had made a really nice layout and, and so on and so on. So we had done a lot of the work uh, and they still offered to pay very little. So then we started our own publishing company <laughs> uh, and then we got well, people contacting us because they wanted to write books as well and they really liked and uh, the way our book looked. Uh, so now I think we've published 15 books in 
in wow. Swedish, mm-hmm. uh, and the focus is on, on on dog training. So we've got nose work and agility and things like that. Uh, so yes, we do do a lot of work together, both with the publishing company and we give courses together and, and separately, uh, and online courses and webinars and, and things like that. Uh, so we really think that it's, we have a strength in working together because uh, then we yeah. could discuss ideas back and forth and find find mm. better solutions all the time. Right. And am I right? How do I say, um, is it clicker vorleget good good? That's a difficult one. It's clicker for laget. Göteborg. Oh my goodness. Yes. Okay, I'm not even going to attempt that. <laughs> no, okay. no, don't, don't try it. <laughs> so, probably easiest for you to say is clicker vorleget. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the name of your publishing company. It's also the name of your training um, organization. Is yes. that right? Yes. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And am I right also that your book is on, it's got a discount at the moment in April if anyone wants to, to buy it while we're talking about the book. Is that correct? Yes, we do have it at the moment. Uh, it depends on when the podcast will go live though, because it's supposed to end on uh, April 30th. Um, right. But I think we could work something out uh, for all podcast listeners so that they will get the discount anyway yes okay i'm going to try and get it out before the end of april so um (laughs) um this interview is the final thing i'm waiting for and then hopefully we can go live and and get it out there Um, okay because then yeah because then the discount is on uh 50 discount until april 30th at the moment right and you mentioned that your online training course as well do you want to say something a bit more about those Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, uh, those well, are so yeah. much fun. Um, it's a really great way to to get uh, support and coaching in your dog training, especially since the positive dog gun dog work can be a bit lonely at times. Uh, so we offer different types of courses. We've got um, gun dog foundations, recall, uh, puppy class, um, and delivery to hand, uh, and then also, of course, lots of parts covered in the foundation, such as stop whistle, heel work, and things like that. And also a couple of webinars. Uh, on May 1st, we're going to release a webinar on heel work based on the heel work challenge that we had on our blog a couple of uh, months ago. Right. So in these, in these online courses, they last a certain number of weeks or? Yeah, months, they... actually. Months? Yeah. Oh. Uh, so mo- most of them, uh, you you get one lesson every or well every week or every second week, and then you do uh, your own training sessions in between, and then you could upload uh, videos if you want to and get feedback from that from us, uh, and ask lots of questions, or you could just uh, read the course material, watch the videos, and and read the text without uh, submitting questions or, or videos. So we got both with and without feedback. And usually you have access to the courses for anything from four to six months. So you have quite some time to, to work on uh, on each part. Uh, usually the courses consist of five to ten uh, lessons with lots of different mm-hmm. exercises in them. Okay, and it's for both uh, Spaniels and Retrievers? Or... Yeah. Yes. Yes? Mm-hmm. But not HPRs? No, not... Um, well, the delivery to hand and the casting and things like that, you could teach the same way. Uh, but we don't right. cover anything that the HPRs do before the shot. No, no, no right. pointing and things like that because uh, we don't have any experience in that. No. Uh, so we don't no. want to, uh, to to offer anything that we ha- don't have experience from. Right. But, we, but it's great that you offer that sort of interactive, like you will give feedback. I think a lot of the time in the online courses, it's just the material and then people don't get that opportunity to get feedback from the instructors. So it's really good that you offer that as an yeah, option. Yeah, and I think that it, that is it, also it, what people really appreciate a lot, the, yeah. the opportunity. And it's a fun way to getting to know people and dogs, actually. Mm. Sometimes I think, because I, I have a puppy class for the moment, look who's here then. Uh, and... Uh, and um, I think they stay for about six months, most of them in the in the class, and uh, I, I really appreciate to follow the puppy and the and the handler for such a long time, and I I feel like I know them and, and I feel like that I've met them, but I haven't. So uh, you come really close. I didn't expect that when we started. Actually, I thought maybe it wouldn't be the same and and so on, but it's. Uh, I love the way to teach uh, that way. Yeah, it's really great. Right. And, it, and recently we've only, uh, we just started to do private sessions online as well. 
Yeah, that is, that so, is fun. so much fun. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> so last week, I first I was in Sweden, and then I was in Australia, and then I was in in Maine in the US. Um, so wow. so that, that's a really great way to travel. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then it's also basically the same. They could upload videos, and then we discuss them uh, during that. Uh, an hour. We usually do it an hour at a time, and then we schedule another session, and then they do some training, and we talk about the training since last session and things like that. Wow, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, so, if people want to start with the online training, is a puppy class the place to start? And then they would, where, where would they go from there? And what age is the puppy class for? Well, the, the puppy class is really, I mean, really puppy class. So it's like from wh- when you uh, get the puppy uh, home. So it can be like eight, nine, ten weeks when it starts right. because it's so much about study the puppy and look what it's doing and think about your training and think about you as a trainer and you get you get some really small um uh, um oh god i lost the word um you look at the small exercises. yeah small exercises that you yeah, can yeah small with. exercises so it's like you, you train for one minute or something and then then you uh, think again about what happened and so on so so, um, yeah, you, you can start with a really small puppy. I recommend that, actually. Mm. And then you can go to, to maybe to the delivery to hand cl- class uh, because that is such important. I mean, you can start there. Of course, you don't have to start with it. If you don't have a puppy, you can start there. Um, yeah. And if you want to have an, a slightly older dog, um, you could do the foundations class to start with. And so yeah. it basically depends on what you want to focus on. And uh, um, yeah. uh, well, how how an ex- how big a class that you really want? Because <laughs> uh, the the foundations class covers lots of different areas. But then, if perhaps if you just want to focus on the delivery to hand, for example, then we have a separate class for that. Okay, folks, it's time for a whistle pause. A whistle pause is when there would usually be an advert from a sponsor. But I don't have a sponsor, so instead I'm going to play you a tune on my trusty Acme 212. Now the tune there is slightly hampered by the fact that the 212 is just one pitch, but I hope you can appreciate the rhythm. Now the reason that we've got this beautiful whistle pause instead of an advert is because I don't get any funding for this podcast or sponsorship. I record it, edit it, upload it myself and I pay for the server. I don't want to get a sponsor because then I have to promote whatever business is sponsoring me and apart from the fact that I think that most dog products are bollocks, I would lose some of the independence and the freedom that I have at the moment to say whatever I want to say about whatever I want to say it about. But if you want to support me, and if you like this podcast, then there are some ways that you can support me, which will also benefit you, I hope. So you can check out the online courses I make, which you can find at forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon wherever you live in the world. So I really hope you can support me and check out some of this material. Anyway, that is the end of today's whistle pause. Let's get back to the show. Great. And is an opportunity for for the students to to interact with each other, or is the interaction between you and the students, and they don't get to know who each other are? No, are they can interact with each other, but yeah. but uh, they don't used to (laughs) i think no uh, no they don't but but uh, they i think they read because some sometimes someone uh, say say oh uh, i I looked at and then type another student's name and so this and that so some of them follow each other but some of them i I think just uh, uh, follow their own uh, thread and and uh, uh, just listen to me and and don't care about the others so I think that is very different but they can do as they want to right and your website is very useful besides the online training it has lots of other information and, and useful blog posts and videos of your training and what you get up oh. to which I think is fantastic and Glad I've been following hear. particularly your um your sit to flush training that you've been blogging about yeah. recently I think Lena that that was your your videos yes it was um, 
Mm. I thought maybe we could talk a little Mm. bit about that just because Mm. I think this is one of the areas where people feel most tempted to use aversives when it comes to the sit to flush because it seems that in the moment there's almost nothing else you can do so I think people end up using them and so I think it's one a subject which is really important to to give people other tools so that we can Mm. see there's other options Mm. so maybe you can talk a little bit about how it all starts like the very baby early stages of training sit to flush yes yeah. Well, yeah, we started to um, uh, play with our, the dog. Uh, almost all our, our training starts uh, with play, actually. So uh, I, I can play with the dog and then I, I, can, uh, 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 I can use a treat, for example, uh, to, to do some reverse luring with the dog. Uh, do no reverse luring when you I do yeah when, but I'm not sure if the podcast listeners no might no yeah. you know when you have uh, you have a treat in your hand and and uh, you don't have the hand open you have the hand closed and uh, and then of course the dog tries to take the treat and lick your hand and so on but in some point he will back off a little bit uh, and then you say get it because you want the dog to back off that is the only way to get the treat so and when he understands that and and when you see a puppy do this it's magic because it takes like one minute and they understand <laughs> try to they already understand the basics uh and then then um then I want to have my hand open so they see the treat but if they try to take it I just close the hand again open it and if it then can hold he can hold himself I said get it so that is the first actually the first uh, exercise I do. So, so it's a bit like uh, resisting the treat is the way to earn the treat. Exactly. If you show that yeah. you're resisting yeah. it and you're not trying to get it, that earns you it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because that is, that is a main, a red, that, that is the main thing in our a baseline or a base in our training, a foundation, that the dog should know that you can get almost everything you want, but you have to get it through me. I can let right. you, I will let you get, get it, but do as I want to want you to do first so that is the first uh uh, first thing we introduce that thing Um, and we can see the end result of that when you have a a bird for example and the dog's resisting getting the bird and not trying to get the bird in order to get a real yeah and from treats to birds there are a step of course or or several steps yeah and i have like i throw balls and i throw throw uh, uh, different toys a tag uh, uh, that I pull him through through the grass for example and I want the dog to to uh, stop and control himself and if he does he get it, he gets it not all the time because in one uh, point I want to train steadiness too so I I very early I uh, try to uh, to train steadiness in combination with uh, control yourself uh, right. So um, th- that is how I started from treats, balls, tugs, and uh, other things that I can can find out. Uh, you have to use your imagination. What can I throw? Can I throw something that looks like a bird? Can I uh, have a helper who who are pulling something through the high grass that looks like a rabbit or something? Yeah, I've tried something. Do you know those children's toys called Furbies, which like their eyes open and close and they shudder around and they make lots of noise yeah. and they're fluffy. Yeah. And those, those kind of things. Yeah, well. great idea. Yeah. At what point do you put a cue into all of this? Though? Is, is all of this uncued? The dog's just offering you the resist the, uh, resist the yes. treat? Or at what point do you then add in the cue? Well, I, I think I, I add the cue in one way. I add the cue early, but... Uh, then I take it away again because I, I I want the dog to think that the cue is something is uh, going away oh, with me. Right. So right. so when I when I teach the dog to um, uh, uh, well I, I separately I teach the dog the stop signal in in uh, it's in it's in the same way actually uh, uh, taking away toys playing with it taking toy away. Uh, putting it under my chin the dog looks up sits down and I add the cue the whistle signal the stop signal but uh, but then I then I'm like I think of it like I don't want to use the stop with the stop whistle all the time I want the dog I mean my my main goal is that the dog should stop without the whistle 
Yes, but so the cue is the bird flushing yes, itself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, in a very uh, situation that is very uh, aroused, I use the stop whistle. I don't want to see the dog <laughs> run away and disappear. <laughs> right. So it's a behavior that you both want on cue, but yeah. you also want it the cue on your whistle cue. But you also want the cue to be the flushing exactly. as well. Exactly. Yeah. So you need to train it both yeah. both ways. Yes. Yeah. Do you do the right. same? I do. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so what point do you go from? Um, so I think there comes a point where you start to use game and that, that becomes the, the tricky bit for mm-hmm. a lot of people because yeah. you can, I think one problem is that people start to do that too soon. Some people yes, so are too true. eager to get onto game. Yes, exactly. And, and so they haven't done enough preparatory training no. with things which gradually approach the appearance of game or the movement of game mm. before, before getting onto game. Yeah. Um, I totally so I think that sort of yeah. creative idea of using, you know, dummies with feathers, dummies with fur, mm. things that go up and things that fall down, mm. yeah. um, things that run through the glass and just trying to sit, think about all the ways that game moves yeah. and generalize it as much as possible before you get onto the yeah. game. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. I totally agree. And I think that, that the hardest point, as you say, is to go from dummies and toys to uh, live birds. That that is a, a very tough one to do. So the I think the best thing is um, either if you have uh, if you, when you start to see bird uh, being flushed, maybe you have the dog on the distance, so uh, he can actually manage, and the and the, or or and of course on leash, and uh, you like do repetitions like when he was a baby. Do you remember this? Something is flashing. You you should sit and so on. But the hard thing is that you have to, you want to ideal if you. It's ideal if you can control the birds, <laughs> but you you can't always do that. But I have been using, as you saw in the film that you referred to before in in our blog, yeah. I have yes. used pigeons. So yes. uh, they fly away and fly home again. When and, and first, I just present the pigeon holding it in my hand, so it's not doing any flopping with the wings or anything, but just holding it uh, uh, up, and the dog should sit. And then I maybe move my hand a little bit, and the dog should offer a sit. So we are back to the kind of uh, uh, play with the toy, but this is a pigeon that I'm right. very gentle with, by the way. And then I maybe let the bird uh, spread out his wings. And if the dog can manage, I uh, very calm, let it fly away. Right. So there's still that gradual progression, that gradual increase. But now we're using game instead of toys. Mm, Exactly. But but I I know that everyone doesn't have uh, pigeons to (laughs) to train with. So then I try to, if if, uh, you don't... uh, then I will recommend to go like in a park, have the dog, of course, on leash and uh, uh, feed the ducks and, uh, and, uh, and let the ducks come closer and closer and let the dog sit. This is, can be very, very hot situation and the dog can be very aroused. But and of course, you start on a uh, longer distance first. Yes, you can maybe have someone else feeding the ducks yes, and you with the dog. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So um, uh, find your ways, but and 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 use your ma- imagination to get close to to birds or rabbits, uh, uh, and uh, just look at them. And yeah, if, I don't. If, do you? Yeah. Sorry. Do you have um uh, rabbit pens in Sweden? Yes, we have. You do, so you, mm. you can hire them, so you yeah. can go and hire them yeah. from a gundog trainer. That might be an option too. Actually, I think rabbits are great because when I, I don't want to, I do, don't do the hunting training with pigeons, of course, because, because then they will start hunting with their eyes, and this is this is only stop training and flush like like the beginning of the flush training. But then you want the dog to uh, stuck his nose into the grass and into the ground, and if you are in a rabbit pen, that is a perfect way to train uh, uh, hunt and flush because the rabbits will disappear into their holes <laughs> and uh, yeah. and the dog can't uh, run like a mile away after the bird in the sky <laughs> yeah so yeah i do i think i think the thing that like the general point behind all of us is is the sense of having control over these first experiences around game and not yeah. being surprised by the game yeah. but but you know that where the game is, you know mm. 
probably where it's likely to flush yes. you know how it's likely to move yeah um and you're prepared with the dog maybe with a long line on or you know with prevention in place yes. necessary so you're not just kind of walking the dog and game springing out of bushes and the dogs off leash and, no you know that's everything's very controlled with these first yeah. encounters with, with game yeah Would that's so true yeah. i think we have to be that control because we don't use punish punishment because um, in theory you should uh, you could do like sloppy training and then just use punishment and hopefully the dog will uh, do as you want to uh, i don't i i hope you know what what i mean i don't mean that we should do it but uh, i think that when when we are training positive and with reinforcers then we should uh, 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 control the training and and think about every step so we don't have a situation that is very hard for us to to bring the dog bag back to to our uh well our uh, cooperation uh, yes yeah do you agree yeah. I do. I think prevention is so important. So like always looking ahead and thinking what's likely to happen, which mm-hmm. I don't want to happen. And how can I prevent that from happening before it happens? Mm-hmm. Um, and having that sort of, but that comes with experience. Cause I think often people, when they're starting out, they don't know what's likely to happen or, that's true. you know, it has to happen for mm-hmm. them to know what's likely to happen. So that's, I think that's part of the, yeah. part of it. Yeah. Then you mentioned in your, um, latest blog post something about um your spaniel owner had had an experience of where she'd managed to go and do some AWOL hunting and chasing and investigating by herself um and you noticed that it was much harder to get the control back after she had that experience yeah um, and I thought that was so true particularly when you've got spaniels which are you know really hard hunting yes and into game yeah um and I think often owners don't recognize the importance of prevention and control and mm. you know over those experiences with games so I wonder if you could say a bit about how you know where that experience left you in terms of training and how well, you had to yeah. yeah well it left me like <laughs> I have to start <laughs> from the beginning again right. <laughs> so depressing and the thing is with this dog cooling which means almost stormy <laughs> is that I've done it so many times like and and I'm like well a little bit frustrated sometimes because uh, I've done mistakes and I have all sorts of bad luck too like line uh, like um, li- uh, lines uh, breaking <laughs> in the middle of training and the dog went off and disappear out in a pheasant field where he flushes like 50 pheasants barking I mean that was really really hard I was like I will not ever do that kind of training again after that but uh, eventually after a month or so he he was calm again and I could um, uh, start to train and uh, remember remind him of how we did this and uh, well it's it's a st- still going on a progress still pro it's in progress progress so uh, right mm. Right. Yeah. And um, Elsa, you, do you find with retrievers that you have to do much of the steadiness? Because presumably in a walk up, you could put up a rabbit or so you so you would also need to have the steadiness to flush idea. Is that also something that you would work on? Yes, absolutely. I want to do this uh, basic steadiness. I do the same way. And also when we have courses, we talk about uh, the flush training also for the retrievers, not to teach them to stop and sit and then necessarily. Uh, but to uh, uh, when when they're out working, if they see game about, uh, we want them to be able to to continue to work and to ignore the game. And especially if you have uh, a dog that is running, uh, well, running on a straight line, for example, uh, flushing a bird, you want it to to continue to work. You don't want it to chase after. And also for your ordinary pet dog, it's great to have this. Uh, foundation training as well so you ha- can have your dog off leash and know that if it uh, flushes a rabbit or anything uh, it won't chase after it would uh, either stop or come back to you and ask oh, what to do next yes uh, absolutely they do need to, to be steady to that as, uh, as well and we teach that to the retrievers too but not necessarily to to stop and sit when something is flushed but rather to if we were on a walk up, for example, or walking to, to heal, just to continue to walk to heal. Uh, if they're out working, uh, for example, hunting for 
for marked retrieve or um, just we're casting them, uh, we want them to, to continue with what they're doing. So it's sort of more proving the behavior by adding that as a distraction, um, but they definitely shouldn't be chasing after the game that is flushed. And also, if you have a, a pet dog, it's great when you have your dog off leash to know that it's steady if something is flushed, so it doesn't chase after any game that you might find in the forest when you're out walking. So that is rather would it will stop and uh, preferably come back to you instead. Um, right. So the t maybe the two skills for retrievers are to be able to walk at heel, and the steadiness is happening from a heel position. For, for one category yes. of things, and then also to be on retrieves and to be able to complete their retrieve and not get distracted by a game that's mm. flushing yep. whilst they're on the yep. retrieve. So there's those two skills there. Absolutely. Um, but then we do, when we, the, the initial training that we, we show them, we're being steady when something is real, running away and things like that. Uh, we do encourage the retrievers as well to actually stop to start with, because that is usually easier than for mm. them to uh, to, to continue uh, and then we move on to adding distractions to the heel work and uh, when they're for example uh, hunting for to find a, a dummy or something we could add a distraction just uh, next to them but far enough away so that uh, they can still manage to do what they're doing and then we gradually move that distraction closer Right. Do you have these, um, I don't know what you would call them, we call them bolting rabbits, yes. where it's like a dummy attached yes. to a piece yep. of elastic that goes really <laughs> yep. fast. Mm -hmm. and Yes, mm -hmm. you have yep. those. Mm -hmm. yeah. those. And we do attach um, toys to, to long lines, long leashes, so that we could pull them away, for example, up over a tree branch, so it all flies up into the air. And those sort of tennis ball launches, they will launch a, a ball from the ground just up into the mm -hmm. air. I'm going to interrupt this fabulous discussion to bring you today's whistle pause. The whistle pause is where an ad break would usually be, but I don't have an ad break. I just have me and my whistle, my trusty T12, on which I'm going to play you a tune. The sad thing about my whistle at the moment is that it's dying a little bit, so bits of plastic have broken off. So it will only blow if I blow it really loudly, then a note will come out. Otherwise, it's this kind of whispery, hoarse, airy, breathy noise. So I've got another whistle on order, and I'd like to reassure you that the, the whistle pause will improve in quality in future episodes. Now, the reason we don't have an ad break here and you have this whistle pause instead is because I don't have a sponsor. I don't want a sponsor because I want to be completely free to recommend the products I want to recommend and I don't want to have to recommend a product that I don't believe in or love in order to get sponsorship. So there are some ways you can support me though because otherwise it is just me making this podcast. So if you like this podcast, there are some simple things and free things that you can do. One is to share it and to tell other people about it and to post it on social media and to promote it whenever you can. The other thing you can do will benefit you as well, I hope. You can check out some of my courses, my online platform, forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon, wherever you live. That is the end of today's whistle pause. Let's get back to the show. Right. And so to go back to the, the sit to flush um, subject, I was just thinking one of the um, questions I sometimes have is whether to give the dog the thing they've resisted or whether to give them another reinforcer instead. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, the, what do you call it? The horse lunging whip. If, what's it called? It's called something else now. It's got some ridiculous flirt pole. Have you heard of flirt poles? <laughs> um, it's, it's like a horse lunging whip, which you tie yeah. a piece of rabbit skin on the yeah, end yeah. and you can move it around really temptingly. Yeah. Um, and so if you're doing that, like with a spaniel or HPR and, you know, it moves, the dog sits to the movement yeah. and is steady. Mm -hmm. Should you then release the dog to get the thing or should you then give them another reinforcer, like a food reinforcer, a toy, but not the thing that they resisted? So mm. 
I'm sometimes in two minds about this because I don't know whether I'm building the expectation that they're going to get the thing okay. and that anticipation yeah, might make the steadiness worse yeah. and whether I should whether we should be building in a different reinforcer as the expectation instead what do you think about the that I do both. question <laughs> yeah 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 I do both because I think that is a really good reinforcer but I look very close to the closely to the dog and look what is happening what is changing in the behavior? Is it changing the way that I want to? Or does he get any expectation that I don't want him to have? And I, I do reinforce a lot for steadiness. I mean, when he's steady. So I go to him and feed him and so on. But, right. but yeah, I let, I let them go after sometimes. And I think I will be more brave with my next dog and try to do it more, actually. Right. Because I think I have been influenced by traditional trainers, which have a lot more experience than I have. So I listen to them because I think they are really wise and they have so much experience to learn from. Um, but I also think that I can lean back to my experience about, well, almost 20 years training dogs with pos- positive reinforcement. So I have to trust myself and my and my knowledge and and uh, really try to do it all the way so I think but I think what what you said that was really important the idea of watching the dog's response and how they respond to what you're doing and then changing your training based on how the dog responds so it's almost confounding the expectations if you see too much expectation that they're going to get it then you would go back exactly rewarding or something or so and dogs are different so they don't I mean what works with one dog doesn't work with another so uh, yeah Look at your dog. What do you think, Elsa? Uh, I say it depends on what uh, what you're training. If you're using, for example, a tennis ball as a distraction, uh, I would let my dog have it sometimes. Uh, but probably with a very eager dog, I'd reward from with treats from my hand most of the times. But if I move on to, to game um, and with, with my retrievers, I wouldn't reward them with being allowed to chase the game. Uh, actually, because no. um, that that is something that they should never ever ever do. No. Uh, so so I don't use that as as a reward, even if they've stopped to it. Then I use something else to reward them with, and that is more mm. acceptable to me. <laughs> yeah. No, neither yeah. do I. I haven't reinforced reinforced any dog with games. Uh, uh, but 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 it, well, like you you described the the horse whip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for example, or a toy that I could do it, and then I like uh, increasing the the criteria, or or yeah, that, mm. does that make sense to to make make it? I change it a little bit, so no, they are not allowed to to chase games as a reward. Mm. That's true. Right. Yeah. Mm. But then, because also when you do a lot of distraction training, if you never let them have, for example, the tennis ball or to have the distraction, they mm-hmm. soon will just say, oh, no, I, I won't care about that at all. So then it's not a distraction exactly, anymore. Yeah. Uh, that is so, so true. We really want to make them aware of what we're saying. If we haven't mm-hmm. said anything, you shouldn't take it. Uh, but did you hear that magic word, take it? Well, then you're allowed to take it. And, th- right. and, that, is, and you know, th- that is why you can't yep. train with pigeons too long. Cooling is like he's hundred percent sure when it comes to pigeons. Now he's like, okay, I know, I sh- should not run after. Okay, this is boring. I sit. <laughs> he's not like he's not aroused at all, and he's he's perfect actually when it comes to pigeons. So yeah. so I think that that I have to well shoot a pigeon or shoot a pheasant. So he knows that, okay, there is something else happening after this that you should pay attention right. to. So that is the next step for him. Hmm. So when he's like yeah, bored, th- then it's time to shoot a, a pheasant. Exactly. I think sometimes it can get to the point with game where the dog does what we call blinking yeah. game. If you, if they never yeah. get it, they would just yes. start to ignore exactly. it. It would just start to be irrelevant mm-hmm. to them. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you have a pet dog, that might be brilliant because yeah. they're just going yes. to run by it and just yes. blink it. But if you want a working gun dog, it's not no. much use. No. So so true yeah so i did have a question for both of you which is about the idea of um the conflict that exists between force-free gun dog training and the mainstream gun dog community which is not force-free and how unless we want to live in a force-free bubble where we never come into contact with- <laughs> sorry. Oh, sorry. 
Uh, have you got dogs? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Did the postman come? Yes, it was. Actually, it was. <laughs> oh. I'm looking out the window to make sure our postman Yeah, okay. Comes. Now he has passed. Uh, uh, not passed, okay. but yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, yes. So the question was just like how you manage that conflict because, you know, if you go to a tr an event or a training class or um, competition or anything, you'll probably see people correcting their dogs or you or if you if the trainer still uses some aversives, they might tell you to do that. And then I think sometimes people people who may end up if they persisted being really good force free trainers end up not doing that because they don't want to put themselves and their dogs in those mm. positions and so they just exist within this force-free bubble um and it means that we don't progress as much as we could as a force-free training community so i was wondering what what you thought about that that is very difficult and that's also why we think it's important to have uh training groups and, and training friends the way you could uh, do your own training in the way you want it structured and force-free uh, and but then, as you said, eventually uh, we think that you have to venture out into the non-force free world, and uh, to see what well, what if you could pass the trials, for example, or um, a lot of the traditional trainers are great at uh, instructors and uh, do have great courses that you could learn a lot from attending. But we usually say that. Uh, we only want to attend courses like that uh, if we know that our dog is steady, uh, if we have uh, delivery to hand and heel work that is, well, looks like what we wanted to, so that we won't get those um, very, well, most common uh, forest alternatives uh, from the instructor. Just to, to Right, so you've it. already got all the basics yeah. in place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then... Uh, another thing that uh, we've started to do recently is actually that we invite uh, good instructors in that are well, more traditional trainers, but they are really good dog, dog trainers and good instructors. We invite them to our training group. So we know that we're in a safe training group where everyone will be um, kind to their dogs. Uh, and then we tell that trainer from the beginning that this is what we want and we want advice like this and we want you to to tell us what you what you see uh but we won't do uh well leash jerking and things like that to to our dogs um, right so you sort of set the boundaries yes. you, you yeah beforehand. and it works perfectly well yeah it works really really good um well, of course, not all traditional trainers will accept that. Um, but with the ones no. that we've had it, we have so, so good training. And we have also so great discussions because you see it from different angles. And uh, they have, well, we learn from them and they learn from us. Uh, so I think it's a really good setup. Because uh, in, in some people's eyes, it could be very, very, um, I don't know if it's threatening or, well, they at least... Uh, they re react quite negatively when you say, I don't want to, to punish my dog, uh, which we find. Yeah, I think they feel judged. Yeah. Um, and some trainers don't have any other options or any other uh, alternatives to do the training. And of course, then we have to find someone else to, to learn from. Uh, but if you have right. the basics in place, uh, you could usually find very nice, sympathetic, traditional trainers where you could get it to work. And then... Well, the biggest problem then is usually the other course participants, because uh, they are usually worse to their dogs than the instructor is. Um, right. So then it's, you really have to find a setting where you think it's well that it, it will work, that it when it what it is okay, so that you don't well feel bad about how people are treating their dogs, because then you need to find somewhere else to be, and sometimes you just have to um, well go away and hide. And think about yeah. how people that are so very, very nice, you talk to them and they're the sweetest person. And then all of a sudden they, they just jerk the leash, uh, lift the dogs by its ear and things like that. And you yeah. can't really understand, yeah. oh, what just happened? You were so nice a second ago. Because they think that this this is the right thing to do for them. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, one of the difficulties is that some some traditional trainers have so much knowledge about, um, you know, how to use the wind, yeah. what the dog's likely to mm -hmm. do, just reading the situation yes. and, you know, field craft. Or I don't know what the best way to call it is. And if we just if we it, sort of don't come into contact with these people because of 
because of that, because of their methods of training, then we we risk not learning yep. those other things, which uh, which we need to know, like everyone needs to know. So that would be mm, a lot. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, but but choosing carefully which courses and which instructors to to listen to, and also uh, another thing that we've done a lot is actually to attend those courses without a dog of our own. Because if we just right. attend yeah. as observers, uh, we at least don't have to do anything to our dogs. We won't, because the dog isn't there. It's not part of the course. Right. But we could still yeah. learn from that instructor. And I have a really sensitive yeah. dog, so he can't be around people that, that punish their dogs. Then he will be like depressed and afraid and he won't work. Right. So for me, it's really important that, well, in, in, in one way, I teach him to not be be afraid we uh, we used to say that elsa should be angry at a bush or something <laughs> talking a little bit uh, angry to a bush and i reward him a lot and play and that is fun when someone is angry that is one thing i train but also i i, I avoid to go to to courses where i know that people will shout and run after their dogs and so on mm. with him because it won't work and and i re- actually i get depressed too so uh, as Elsa said, choose uh, mm. carefully. Yeah, and yet you two, you are involved in sort of mainstream competition. I, I saw that you were um, at, at a working test or something yes. last week, the week mm-hmm. before. Yes. Is that yeah. right? But yeah, um, so you do sort of you're not isolated in a force free bubble. You do get out and compete. Yes, and of course. Are in the mainstream. <laughs> that yeah. is so much fun. Yes, we we love to yeah. compete, <laughs> um, and that right. is also a good way to show that it actually works. Um, yes, when it does. When it does. But the thing is, yes, well, of course, when it does. <laughs> we'll, we'll know about that. But the thing is that since this is considered a new way of training, uh, a lot of people think that it has to be a thousand times better than the old way mm, and that it exactly. has to work straight mm. away. Uh, yes, but exactly. if you look at the average force free trainer and the average um, well, correctional based trainer, well, I'd say that their training work equally bad or equally good. Mm. Um, mm. But we have the advantage of, well, actually having ha- well, happy training, happy dogs, and not having to, to make our dogs afraid of us. And mm. uh, some people find that very threatening because um, they don't know how to respond yeah. to it. But that is, I think that, yeah. um, well, average or uh, well, force-free training that isn't complete yet uh, or do not haven't started the trial yet is compared to traditional trainers that have been trialing mm. and competing for 20 years. Yeah. And that is yeah. somewhat an unfair comparison uh, in some yeah. sense. Um, so true. Yeah. And I also think that, that uh, it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to go to train with uh, traditional trainers. They are like... Uh, they're like a little bit upset by or they are challenged when I say, no, I don't yeah. want to do that. And they are like, uh, you're stupid. My way of working. Oh, my God. I'm living at a farm. Do you hear yeah. that? <laughs> no, a tractor passed by. Oh, yeah, um, yeah uh, well, they, they well, get provoked. Yeah, they, they get provoked. So that I yeah. think that, uh, but then I think this is not about me, that it's about him. So, so, yes. um, uh, and it, it is, of course, but it's so interesting yes. that it could provoke someone that I don't want to, to yeah. do. I don't know how, how much that is to do with the force free side of things, although I think that that contributes to it because it implies that we're judging them for. Yes, the I think so. They, they yeah. Used. Um, yeah. But then there's also, I think, I was just thinking of this time when I went along to a, a um, retriever training class with my Weimarana Slate mm-hmm. and her cue for blind retrieves was fetch. As it was the same at the time. I don't do this now. I have a separate cue for blinds. But at the time I had the same cue for blinds and for a mark and it was fetch. And the the um, tutor, the trainer wanted me to say back, which is mm-hmm. vegetable. Yes. He'd say. And I just said, well, but she doesn't know back because I haven't. That's not her no. cue. So. I can't run this retrieve and just start to use a different word. She's not going to know what that means. And so we had this big argument where she was saying, no, you really should say back. And me saying, well, I could say banana (laughs) or rubbish. She doesn't know what the word means. So I'd have to retrain the word. And this person just didn't, just didn't Mm. understand this and in the end I was just like you know I have to leave I can't like the whole class was waiting while I was having this argument about which word to use (laughs) for some people it's a it's a sort of um 
I don't know. They have to be yeah, right because they're yeah, the trainer. Yeah. Um, and so that that part of things is not to do with force-free no. training or filling yeah. judge in any yeah. way. But yeah, but I think that is part that that connects in some way to when you go to a training class. You people can feel like they're giving up authority to the trainer and they're giving over um, agency to the, the person running the class. And I think that can help leave yeah. them feeling that they're not able to protect mm. their dog if if they should yeah. do. So. that is so true and i think that's elson i had come to a stage where we can say with authority well the tractor again uh that uh, uh we will we will not do this but we will do that and people accept this more or less but i think it's harder because if you're like a beginner and come to class and say no i don't want to do this and then and then the instructor says, "Why not? You should." But I, I they don't even I think say that's... why not. They say you have to do it because there's no other yes. way. So true, yeah. true. Mm-hmm. So we, I, I think it's luxury that we now have have uh, uh, so much experience that the, that to lean on and that we are, feel safe when we say, "No, I won't do it. I do this way," and 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 we do we we say it in a nice way and and. Uh, then the instructor uh, uh, says, "Okay." Mm-hmm. I think if the instructor is safe and confident and and have lots of experience, then he doesn't need to to uh, argue with us. So that is also a way to to uh, of course choose instructors mm-hmm. that you know. Right. That... So it's a reflection of their insecurity. Yeah, yeah, it they... could be. Yeah. Because right. also a lot of traditional trainers are used to training one type of dog and then mm. one method that will work for that dog otherwise well they'll get a new dog uh, whereas we get a lot of people having well having pet dogs having showbred dogs uh, and also having been to traditional trainers that haven't been able to help them because uh, th- their dog didn't respond to those uh, punishment based methods so we are very much used to thinking about new ways and different ways of uh, doing things and teaching the dog what we want it to do. And especially with well, pet dogs or showbred dogs that aren't as um, eager and enthusiastic as the working bred dogs, you have to find something else to motivate them. Right. So it's about working with the, the dog that you have in yep. front of you, really. Like we were mm, about absolutely. Yeah. But then, of course, it, uh, well, well, we've been discussing this this a lot because, of course, you compare your own dog to uh, its siblings or other dogs that have been trained with other mm-hmm. methods, and uh, you say, "Oh, that dog is doing so great, and mine isn't." Well, you have to remember that they are different individuals, and different individuals respond differently to different types of training, and also, uh, since we don't want to to punish our dogs um we some well some things need to take a longer time because you have to let the dog settle and really understand what you what it is that you want it to do and and that is i think that is especially true for for very eager dogs that get quite aroused quite easily so when everything is nice and calm then could do they then they could do almost anything they could do a nice delivery to hand they could do great casting and things like that but if they get too aroused they forget all of that and all of a sudden they, they can't do anything right. but to run around and play with a dummy um, and then uh, as a traditional trainer you you would bring the dog down um, by correcting that and then you get the dog to be calm again uh, but says we don't want to do that we have to find other ways to get the dog to calm down for example in that situation and that will take longer time so i think it's something to do with um working with the dog's emotional state and recognizing why the dog Mm. is behaving the way they're behaving so they're Mm. not just playing around because they're being naughty or bad or disobedient or but they're playing around because they're over aroused and they can't manage their feelings in that moment and that's how it gets manifested in the in the dog in that moment Mm. yeah well, it's been really, really interesting to talk to you both today about these things. So thank you so much for, for coming on. Do you want to just make sure that people know about your, your website and what the uh, web address is for it so they can find you if they if they want to do your online courses or, or buy yes, your book? Yes, that would be great. We'd lo- love to meet new people. And then you should go to retrievingforalloccasions.com and you could find us on that website. You can also find us on uh, Instagram and on Facebook using the same handle, Retrieving for All Occasions. 
Super. Excellent. Well, thank you both so much for, for talking thank to you. us today. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Hold the line. I hope you enjoyed that interview there with Elsa and Lena. I did. It was fantastic to talk to them and I hope to speak with them again sometime in the future. If you did enjoy the interview, please could you give the podcast five stars on iTunes or Stitcher or on whatever app you use. And that's all for this time though, folks. So we'll see you again next time. Hold the line. Hold the line.